Amen. Let's look at Daniel. Uh, it's a fantastic book in the Old Testament. Uh, Sam did uh, a brilliant introduction about three weeks ago, and then a couple of weeks ago, Bev introduced us to chapter one, looking at Daniel and uh, his identity and many other uh, things to do with his life at the beginning of the story. And we've gone up to chapter two now. I think I'll, I'll read it if that's all right. It's a little bit long, but I think it's good to set our thoughts in the passage. Let's read Daniel chapter two. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. He demanded that they tell him what he dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, Long live the king. Tell us the dream, and we'll tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I've dreamed and what the dream means, I will give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. Then they said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream. And we'll tell you what it means. The king replied, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. So you've conspired to tell me lies, hoping I'll change my mind. But tell me the dream and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream." And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked Arioch, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. That night, the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you've given me wisdom and strength. You've told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Then Daniel went in to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men, 
Take me to the king, and I'll tell him the meaning of his dream. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he's shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. It's not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was your dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He's made you the ruler over all the inhabited worlds and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise up and take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will become divided like iron mixed with clay. It will have some strength of iron. But while some of its part, with some of its parts it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. The mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. And during the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That's the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him and commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of God, the Lord over kings 
a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. It's a great story. It took a bit of time to read it out, but uh, I believe God was speaking to people here just through hearing the story. And Maybe you could think, how can that relate to me in my life today? If you put the next slide up, please, Chris. Just want to recap a little bit on the direction of travel. And uh, we've got Syria on the map there and the Middle East there. And we can see Babylon in yellow in the middle. And as the crow flies, it's about 550 miles from Babylon to Jerusalem. Um, if you wanted to drive it, I've heard it takes 1,600 miles because you can't just drive straight. You have to go around all sorts of uh, obstacles and different nations. And the story of the Bible talks about Abraham or Abram being called by God and coming out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, where's that? Where's Ur of the Chaldeans? Bottom left. Yep, it's a little bit south of Babylon. And he was called with his family up north to Haran and then down to Jerusalem. So God called Abraham out of Iraq and brought him to the promised land. And what did he say to Abraham? Genesis 12. He'd be a father of many nations, father of a great nation. He said, I'll bless you and make you a father of a great nation and you'll be a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's a wonderful calling. And now we wind history forward. And uh, as Sam was saying, the children of Israel had sinned and sinned consistently and sinned terribly in Jerusalem and God couldn't bless them anymore they were so uh, blocking God so going against God God said I, I can't bless you anymore and if God wasn't blessing them they couldn't be a blessing to the people around and that's true we need to be in a place where we're we're getting close to God and God is blessing us and we can be a blessing to the people around us. And what happened is that Daniel was one of the people taken into captivity and he goes back to Iraq and he's there in Babylon. The promised land uh, is abandoned by uh, many of them. They're forcibly removed and the temples destroyed and the worship of God has uh, it's just gone through a huge reversal. But the wonderful thing about Daniel is even when You've been through a huge reversal, even when you've been caught up in a terrible disaster, even when you've been taken captive and you're in the heart of the enemy territory in exile. God hasn't given up on us. And Daniel is close to God and God blesses him and God makes him a blessing right there in the enemy land. And a wonderful grace of the gospel is God's God of the second chance. You may think you've blown it. You may think you've let him down. You may feel bad about yourself. You may feel guilty. But God still wants to bless you. 
God still wants to pour out his blessing on other people through you. And even if you blow it, he's a God of the second chance. And even in the middle of enemy territory, God can bless you and you can be a blessing to the people around you. So who are the characters in the story? Two main characters, Dramatis Persona, and there's a picture of them. There's meant to be Daniel there and uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, today you're probably sick of hearing of it. Two people are slugging out to try and be technically the most powerful person in the world. Clinton vs. Trump. I'm really glad the debates are over. Get on with the election. Get that sorted. But here in this story, we have the most powerful man in the world at the time. And um, technically, I think the president of America is, is the most powerful person in the world, but they can't always do just what they like. But this man was an absolute ruler. He could have anyone killed at a whim. He was obviously revered and respected, but he'd been successful as well, so he's probably quite popular. He had all the wealth and all the power he wanted. He'd won military victories. He'd conquered a huge part of the world, and he had an opulent palace and an ornate throne. We don't know 100% for sure, but some of the ancient writings say that uh, he even had live lions tied to either side of the throne, just to kind of make him, wow, this is a man who's got power and authority, who's greatly to be feared. He was the most uh, powerful man in the world. We're doing the Alpha course at the moment. You're welcome to come on Wednesday nights, but uh, uh, probably a clip some of you have seen. They quoted the actor Jim Carrey, you know him? And uh, apparently he said this, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of so they would know that that's not the answer to life. And that's someone who's had a lot of fame and a lot of wealth. And Nebuchadnezzar had everything the world could offer at the time, but that didn't give him an inner peace and security, did it? And it's really important, this story um, recognizes that he, he couldn't sleep in peace. His mind was troubled. He had this powerful nightmare. He struggled to get to sleep. And he felt very, very insecure on the inside. And it's funny, people, we all feel insecure. And a lot of people in this world strive to sort that out by being rich or famous or powerful or successful. And actually it doesn't work, does it? The higher up the ladder you climb, the greater the fall <laughs> when the ladder collapses under you. Uh, it doesn't work at all. We need to find our security in God. And it's great that we don't need to be jealous of the most powerful man in the world. He was insecure. He was threatened. He couldn't sleep at night. He had these dreams that troubled him. And he was tormented in spirit by them. But we can find real hope and security in God. And I believe that's what Daniel had and what Daniel carried. I was thinking about this and thinking of a friend of, of some of ours. And it's another link with Turkey, Trevor Penrose. Uh, and this man uh, had had cancer in his late 40s, early 50s, and then remission. And then it came back again when he was in his mid-50s. And he was having treatment, but it wasn't going well. 
But he had such a peace and security in God. It's always stayed with me. I think I've shared this before. I remember seeing him one day and he said, I'm in a win-win situation. If I get healed, I get to stay here and continue my work and stay with my family. If I die, I get to be with the Lord in heaven. I'm in a win-win situation. I thought, wow, that man has got such a peace and security in God. And the most powerful man in the world hadn't got that. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, my life is hid with Christ in God. Despite all the pressures and all the persecutions, he was totally secure in Jesus. Uh, Steve reminded me we had the vicar of Baghdad here a couple of years ago, if you remember that. And uh, he's not there anymore, he's, he's in the Middle East, but he's not in, in Baghdad. It was too difficult to be there in the end, but he was there for many years. And he said he's fed up with people saying, take care. And his mantra was, don't take care, take risks. Just don't tell Dee, she's our safeguarding officer. But he was secure in God. And he was willing to take risks. And I pray that security on you as you go back to that land. You're just totally secure in God. And that trumps Sorry about using that word. But it trumps the other stuff. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I can give you what really satisfies. I can meet your deepest needs. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We find our peace and security in Jesus. And Daniel had that. He knew God. He knew God. He was a young man uh, in his late teens or early 20s. He was in exile. He was a foreigner. He had no power, no protection, no rights. He was a young trainee, but similar to, to guys that Dee's probably met coming over from uh, the camp in Calais. But he knew his God, and God made all the difference in his life. He really, really impresses me. And I don't know how you feel, whether you're feeling secure or insecure, powerful or not powerful, struggling and stressed out or relatively peaceful. But what we need to take away from today is God is real and God makes all the difference. We've got God in our lives and that's absolutely wonderful. It's a little story I've never forgotten. Uh, It was told to me by a guy called Hugh Osgood and he said, imagine your kind of jungle scene And uh, coming out of the jungle to a clearing by a huge ravine is uh, an elephant with a mouse on its head. And uh, there's one of those kind of rope bridges across the cavern and hundreds of foot drop. And the other side is is where they want to go. And uh, it's a bit risky, but the elephant and the mouse get on the bridge and they're walking across. And the thing's kind of shaking and rocking and you can hear ropes kind of straining and a few of them snapping but eventually they get to the other side and then the mouse whispers into the elephant's ear my didn't we shake that bridge and it's a bit like us and god we've got a god with us we're not just a little mouse we're mice with god with us so we can shake those bridges we can make a difference for god in this world and there's I think three things that really impressed me about Daniel. One was his character. He handled the situation very well. He, he sensitively got alongside the guy that was meant to arrest him and kill him. He was polite and tactful. He won the guy over. 
He negotiated an audience with the king. He got some more time. And we see how he was and his character really shone through. And I think that's one of the things about following Jesus. It's not just about power and uh, I'm strong because I've got God on my side. The character of Jesus worked into our lives is so important. It does shine through. Um, I remember there was a, a, a young guy at work when I worked for Lloyds Bank many decades ago in the city. And he was a Christian and he uh, was in a flat, a shared house with four others. And I said, oh, wow, how did you find out about it? He found out about it through a church notice board. I said, oh, great, it's nice that you're living Christians. He said, no, none of them are Christians. And I said, hang on, you're in a shared house, you're a Christian, there's four other guys there, none of them are Christians. And it was advertised on a church notice board. How come? And he said, well, the guy that was in my room before me was a Christian. And these non-Christian guys thought he was such a nice guy that when he goes, we'll get another one. <laughs> so they advertised for him. But that other guy, he lived with these people in the same house. They thought, what a brilliant guy. We'll get another one like that. I'm not sure they would have done if I'd been living there. But character can really, really shine through, can't it? And we had an extreme example again on the Alpha course. Nicky Gumbel talks about uh, uh, the concentration camps in the Second World War and lining up prisoners to put them in the starvation bunker to kill them as a punishment. And uh, one of the prisoners uh, collapses and said, yeah, what about my wife? What about my kids? Uh, and it just, you know, he's just so distraught at, at this news. But what happened, it really happened in the war as a Catholic priest uh, in his late 30s, stepped forward and said, I'm a priest, I'm not married, I want to die in that man's place. And the guards agreed. So the, the, the guy was let out and uh, the Catholic priest joined the other nine men and they were put in the starvation bunker. Uh, and the end of the story is years later that man was celebrated uh, in Rome and the person that he died in the place of was there with his wife and children and grandchildren to thank God for his sacrifice. Character is so important. It's, it's wrought in our life because we know God, because God loves us, because he's working in our life by his Holy Spirit. But it really, really shines through, and it shone through for Daniel here. He had a huge amount of courage as well, and he asked for a meeting with a king, and this king wants to kill him. It's a big risk. He really puts his neck on the block. But he got, does, it, does it. He goes for it and he gets the audience with the king. A huge courage. And we want courage to characterize our lives. And I think the more, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the world, but if we're going to break through for Jesus, more and more of us need courage to really stand and withstand in situations in life. And he had a huge confidence in God as well. He requested more time to tell the king the meaning and he clearly didn't know what the meaning was. So would you have gone up to the most powerful man in the world and said, just give us another day and I'll tell you what your dream was and what it means. And I have, when I'm saying that, I haven't got a clue what's going on here. But he had a huge confidence in God and he was able to do that. Um, and... I think it's really wonderful to be in that place where you've got that 
relationship with God and that confidence in God. He did the right things. He went home and prayed. He got all his friends to pray. So that's really good. But, and he did receive the revelation as we, we just read. But he had huge confidence in God and the fact that God would speak to him. I think that's really, really wonderful as well. Uh, on my sabbatical, I was in Bristol, and uh, there was a guy called George Muller. I don't know if you've heard the name years ago. He ran orphanages, and I happened to be in one of his orphanages because uh, someone I know lives there, and it's a Christian community, and this guy is a pastor. And this guy just took in hundreds of kids a uh, century or two ago and, and had to pray and trust God that they'd be fed and provided for. And he had such confidence in God. Sometimes he, he had 150 kids there and he stood up to say grace at the start of breakfast and there was no food in the house. And while he was saying grace, maybe it went on for a slightly long, while he was saying grace, a delivery of food arrived and they were able to feed the kids. When, when he stood up, there was nothing there, but he had huge confidence in God. That's another fantastic thing about Daniel. Now my problem here is I've got far too much to say and not enough time to say it. Um, But I wanted to say I'm really, really impressed with Daniel. Shall we rattle through very fast? We haven't got time to say it. I wanted to say things about uh, reason and faith. I'll just say this bit and then when you get bored or hungry, just throw something at me and I'll stop and come to an end. Um, In society, reason and faith are are seen as opposite things, aren't they? They're portrayed as being opposite. Science is king, and faith is blind. And there's a wonderful guy called Richard Dawkins. You may have heard of Who's heard of Richard Dawkins? On the New Atheists. uh, And uh, he's pretty anti-faith. And he says something like this. I think that a case can be made that faith is one of the world's great evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. Faith, being belief that isn't based on evidence, is the principal vice of any religion. That's a way to knock faith, isn't it? We're reading about Daniel had huge faith and confidence in God. That's what he thinks. And obviously his views are represented on the media. He doesn't represent all atheists. He certainly doesn't represent all scientists. But his views are very, very uh, popularly put out. Um, The other guy, anyone know who he is? It's called John Lennox, and he's professor of maths at Oxford. Um, He's debated with Richard Dawkins. One of the things he said is, what evidence is there that religious faith is not based on evidence? I don't think Richard Dawkins had any answer to that what evidence you're saying faith is blind it's ridiculous to believe stuff and all christians and all religious people operate like that what evidence have you got that that's how we think he didn't have anything to say because he hasn't i think the the answer is there's a mixture of both reason and faith of fact and data and revelation from god and that's how we operate And John Lennox says, mainstream Christianity will insist that faith and evidence are inseparable. Faith is a response to evidence, not a rejoicing in the absence of evidence. Now that's true for me, I think. 
Faith uh, is a response to evidence, not rejoicing in the absence of evidence. John 12, 20, 31, these things are written so that you may believe. We've got things to go on. Our faith isn't blind and stupid. And one of the, the, the things that our faith stands on is the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think most impartial people would agree that that could stand up in a court of law. We weren't there, we didn't see it. But when you look at the evidence for the resurrection, that would stand up in court. We've got some evidence that our faith is based on. Richard Dawkins says this, The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's so petty, it's so trivial, it's so local, it's so earthbound, it's so unworthy of the universe. Not very positive towards us. But the point of that is to, to say that in this case, and, uh, well, yeah, go on the next slide very quickly. Oh, you, actually, you went ahead of me there, Chris. You did, I wasn't looking. Go back one. In this case, there was very little data to go on. The king said, I've had a dream, and I don't like it. He didn't tell them anything else. And all that people without God can do is try and use their reasons and make up an answer. And the wise men and the astrologers thought, we're going to get it wrong. This is too hard. There's too little data. But if we have some data, some evidence, some life experience, uh, testimony in people's lives, the reality of what's happened in history, and we receive revelation from God, and we process that and use our reason at the same time, then we have God answers, God's answer and we can find a way forward. And in this case, Daniel had the bit of data about the dream. But he got revelation from God and he was able to go to the king and give him the answer he needed. Do you need revelation from God? Who needs some wisdom from God? The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask God and he'll give it. We've got the examples of the wisdom of Solomon. We've got Jesus having words of knowledge with people. We can have wisdom and revelation from God in the same way that Daniel did. It's interesting with Christmas coming that uh, Joseph, uh, Mary's husband, most of his revelation came through dreams. In fact, I think all of it came through dreams. I was thinking this week, you know, am I going to have a really significant spiritual dream and share it with you? But I didn't. But Joseph, he had revelation from God. And it all came in his dreams. Let's believe that God is going to speak to us and reveal things to us. Let's not believe the rubbish that science and religion are opposed, that faith and reason are the opposites. We need some evidence, we need some facts, we need to get hold of the stuff and reality of life, but you can't get the answers that you really need in life just by that. We also need the revelation that comes from God, and that was available to people that love God and worship him and seek him and pray. You can receive that wonderful revelation from God. And uh, the cake, earlier on you saw the cake, that's a good example if uh, a scientist walked in here and saw that cake, they could probably tell you how it was made and they could certainly tell you what it was made of. So it's great. Science is useful. It goes that far. What they couldn't tell you, if they just walked in here now and saw a cake there, 
They couldn't say why it was made or who made it. We need revelation for that. And with a particular cake, it was made by Lydia and it was made for Ashwin's birthday. No scientist could work that out. But if you ask someone, you, get the, you ask Lydia and she say, I made it. And it's for Ashwin's birthday. And it works like that in life. We can work out what's there, how it's put together, how it seems to work to the best of our knowledge. But unless we come to God, we don't know who made this world and why he made it. But he made it and it's wonderful and we're part of this life and we've got a great God and we can be like Daniel. We can be people of courage, people of conviction, people of character and people that stand up for Jesus and boldly believe that he's going to reveal things to us and work through our lives. Our time has really gone. You can flash through to the end. Go, go, there's this statue and uh, next one. There's various theories about what empires it represents. I haven't got time to go through it now. And there's the feet of clay and, uh, and iron. Next one. And uh, a couple more slides. There's views about uh, the different empires. But that rock that's been cut is the kingdom of God that's going to come and smash the world's empires. And that's where I wanted to land. I'm sorry I haven't gone through all the kind of dream interpretation for you. But the good news as well is there's a kingdom that God has set up in Jesus Christ that's come in this world. And that kingdom's different from the world's kingdom, but that kingdom is going to crush the powers of this world eventually. And Mark 1, the, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, change your mind, change your world view. Because the kingdom's near and you can believe the good news. And then Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's good news for poor people with a food bank. Humble people can be raised up by God. Prisoners can be set free. We can be set free of the prison of addiction and fear. God can heal us and bring his goodness into our lives. And next one, the kingdom's upside down. This is Mary's prayer. The proud are brought down, rulers are removed from their thrones. God lifts up the humble, he fills the hungry, and he sends the rich empty away. God's reversing the ways of this world. And we're part of a kingdom that's going to make a difference in this world. And it's not going to be like uh, the powerful kingdom of an absolute ruler. It's not going to be might and power and war and oppression. It's a kingdom with completely different values. And as Sam said, God wins by dying. And God gave himself up in sacrifice for us. And finally, that kingdom is the one that's coming. And it's going to smash, ultimately, the kingdoms of this world. And in Revelation, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So we've got a wonderful example in Daniel. We've got a wonderful God who's good all the time, who loves us. And we're part of a kingdom that's coming and you may feel weak and powerless, you may feel oppressed at work, you may feel you're like a little mouse, you can't say anything or do anything. 
But don't give up. Don't despair. We belong to the living God. We're sons and daughters of him. And we're part of God's kingdom that's coming. And it looks so weak. And it's done on the basis of sacrifice. It's done on the basis of laying yourself, your life down. It's not working on pride and position and power. But it's working on love and sacrifice. But that kingdom is ultimately going to fill the earth. And all the kingdoms and their vain glories of this world will be destroyed. And God will come fully and will move forward into the age to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Daniel. We thank you so much in his story. We thank you it's not just ancient history, Lord, but it speaks to us thousands of years later. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for where you've put us in London or in other parts of the world. And we pray that you'll help us to think about Daniel, his confidence in you, his faith in you, his trust in you, his courage to speak out for you. And Lord, help us to have confidence that in our weakness and in our frailty, there's a wonderful kingdom that's coming more and more and more that will be the future and that will change the shape of this world that we live in. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.